Oh, hi, Manual Faith. It is so good to be back with you after a week of teaching up in Oregon and some time away with uh, my family. And I'm really excited to end this series in the parables with you today. I think this parable is going to be encouraging and challenging for us as we dive in together. So if you have your Bible, open with me to Matthew chapter 25. You know, a few weeks ago, I was swiping through my news app and reading stories that popped up for me. And one of those stories was about a man by the name of Forrest Fenn. He lives in New Mexico. And back in 2010, he took part of his his fortune and he buried it. Two million dollars that he buried in the mountains of Colorado. He then included a cryptic poem at the end of his book, The Thrill of the Chase, and he uh, gave instructions in that cryptic poem about how to find it. So for the past 10 years, there's been this group of people that's been obsessed with trying to find this buried treasure. I mean, five people have actually lost their life looking for it. Um, Many have developed an unhealthy obsession with trying to find it. And there have been a lot of people along the way that doubted the validity of the claim that there was actually this chest with um, rubies and gold and necklaces buried in the mountains of Colorado. But in June of 2020, somebody who wants to remain anonymous actually found this chest of buried treasure. I mean, this is the stuff of pirates. This is awesome. They found it in the mountains of Colorado. They said, well, yeah, the the poem sort of led me right to it. It's interesting because this idea of, of burying our wealth or burying our fortune isn't unique to Forrest Fenn. See, see, People do this all the time. They, they bury the best parts of them. Uh, they, they conceal and try to keep hidden some of their, their best gifts. And some people do it out of uh, fear. or Some people do it because they're exhausted. And, but this is a part of the human condition. We take the very things that God has put inside of us to be on display, to bless the world and to help the world move towards shalom and peace, and we, we bury them. And Jesus is going to address that in the parable that he's telling about the parable of, of the talents. Remember, this word parable is from the Greek word parabolo, which means to throw alongside of or to cast alongside of. And so Jesus is going to take something that we understand and something that we know about, and he's going to throw a story alongside of it that we don't know about. And he's going to go, this is like that. And parables are designed to create disorientation that would lead to spiritual awakening. They're, they're designed to make us go, is that really the way life works? Is that, is that actually what's going on here? And then to recalibrate our life with this awareness of who God is and the way that he's designed us to work in his world and function in his world and then to to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So listen to this story that Jesus tells. We're beginning in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 25. Here's what he says. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents. To another he gave two, and to another he gave one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He 
he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also the one who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground, and he hid his master's money. Now, just a few quick observations about this text, and then we're going to dive in and try to ask some questions about what God would want us to hear as we read this morning. But the first, here's the first truth. Everybody has something. These three servants are designed in this story to represent, in some imprecise fashion, every single human being that walks the face of the earth. Some have five talents, some have two, some have one, but everybody has something. Now, you may be going, well, just one talent, that doesn't sound like a whole lot. But a talent was actually a lot of money. See, a talent was about 10,000 denarius. And a a denarius or denarii was the equivalent of one day's wages. So a talent was a unit of money that equaled roughly 10,000 days wages or, or the entire lifetime, the body of somebody's work, the sum of somebody's work, all in one payment. So even one talent is extremely, immensely generous. We're looking at a God who really blesses his people. Second, everybody has something. But not everybody has the same thing. Not everybody has the same gifting, the same ability, the same talent, the same resources, the same uh, time, the same opportunities. Everybody has something, but not everybody, but everybody doesn't have the same thing. And then here's, here's the third thing. And I want to point this out to you so that you, you see it in the text. It's in verse 14. It says that the master... Um, called his servants and he entrusted to them his property. Uh, he, he, it's his property, his talent, his money, his opportunities, his time. He's, he is calling humanity to view their lives as, as stewards rather than as owners See, here's the, here's the perspective that Jesus wants you and I to adopt about our life. It is not our own. It is all on loan. In fact, I would invite you to write that down. It's not one of our main points today, but, but I think it would be helpful to try to get this into our soul. It's not our own. It's all on loan. My house is not my own. My kids are not my own. My relationships are not my own. My job is not my own. It's not my own. It's all on loan. And in the rest of this parable, Jesus is going to explain to us how embracing that posture and that perspective of life, of our stuff, of our bodies, of our opportunities, that perspective actually leads to vitality and life and flourishing because it's the way that he designed us to live. So what does it look like to be the kind of people who realize that what we think we own is actually on loan? That's where Jesus is going to dig in in this parable. And listen to what he says in verse 19. 
Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Settled accounts. This is um, a banking terminology. This is somebody going to their financial advisor at the end of a quarter and saying, how'd we do? With the money that we put in, what did it yield? So please hear me on this, Emmanuel Faith. God expects that we would take what he's given us, what he's put into us, and that we would make much of it in the world that he's called us to live in, that we would further shalom, that that we would be a part of, of loving and bringing common good to the world that we live in. To not do so is to reject an implicit part of what it means to be human. So I'd invite you to think about it like this today, and I would invite you to to even to write this down. God's gracious deposit demands your intentional investment. God's gracious deposit demands your intentional investment. And what Jesus is saying is there will come a day where we have to give account for the way that we used the stuff that he gave. I mean, the the Apostles' Creed would say it like this, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. But the really interesting part, as we see in this parable, is that God's judgment for believers is not about whether or not they're saved. It's about the way that they experience life in the kingdom of God. It's about reward that we've identified previously as this this inherent joy of being a part of what God is doing. I mean, listen to the way that the Apostle Paul writes about this day in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. With gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. Here's what he's saying. There will come a day when the way that we've lived will be not only revealed, but Jesus will say whether or not the things that we've done will actually last. That Will they echo into eternity Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Will it last? Verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through the fire. See, this isn't an issue of salvation. It's an issue of whether or not we look back at our life with regret or whether we look back at our life with with gratitude, seeing that the things that we've done have made an eternal difference in the lives of people. There's some things we do that will be gold that'll last and some things that will be wood or hay or straw that will disappear, that will burn up. And see, here's the reality, friends. Don't forget this. God's gracious deposit demands my intentional investment. And the only the things that we let go of will actually grow. That's true of seeds going into the ground. That's true of kids needing eventually to leave the home so that they can more fully flourish. It's true of our money, what we hold on to and don't invest. It doesn't grow. It just stays stagnant. And see, here's one of the things baked into this parable that I think is so beautiful. God is not down on goals. 
He's not down on profit. He's not down on ambition. In fact, he wants us to channel those things, goals, profit, ambition, to make much of his name and his kingdom, knowing that that's the place where we find most joy. If you want to receive, you've got to be willing to release because God can't bless closed fists. We have to be in a posture willing to receive and then to let it go so that it can grow. So in the rest of this parable, Jesus begins to unpack and describe why you and I can have immense freedom and joy in letting go, in investing the deposit that God has made into our life when he created us. So here's what he says in verse 20. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents, and here I've made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 22. And he also had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here, and I've made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. See, this is really interesting because each person yields something different from the talents that God has uh, entrusted to them. But they're each told the exact same thing. You've been faithful over a little, and now I will give you much. The exact same words are echoed to the five-talent owner and to the two-talent owner. And I think this is really intentional on Jesus' part, because he wants you and I, as people who've been entrusted with a different number of talents, to focus not on production, but on faithfulness, to, to focus on being faithful not to focus on being productive. And I'd encourage you to write that down because I I think it's a huge theme for us as we look at our lives and we try to take the stuff that God's given us and make much of it in the world. The focal point isn't, what am I producing? The focal point that you and I as followers of the way of Jesus, as disciples, the thing that we're called to think about and to pray about is, am I being faithful? Am I being faithful? Um, In parenting terminology, we we may talk about praising our kids, not necessarily for their production, but for the effort that they put in. And God's saying, oh, that's the exact same way that I work with you. You see, when my focus is productivity, I typically look at what I have and then imagine what God might do. But when I focus on faithfulness... I look to God and ask, where are you leading? And what do you want to do with my life? And even sometimes it might not make sense. Like my my favorite example of this in the scriptures is Moses. Moses, who's called by God to go confront the Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at the time. 
And listen to Moses' response back to God when he's told to go. It's in verse 10 of Exodus chapter 4. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and tongue. Moses is like, come on, God, like send somebody else who's better at talking. Like, I'm not very good at talking. And listen to what God says. See, Moses is focused not on faithfulness at this point, but on productivity. Am I going to get the job done? Verse 11, the Lord said to him, who's made man's mouth? Who, who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. This is really interesting because God is shifting Moses' focus from, am I going to be able to be productive? Am I going to get the job done to just be faithful, Moses? Just put one foot in front of the other and use whatever I've put inside of you to further the glory of my name. See, what would it look like if you started to measure your success, not based on your productivity, but based on your faithfulness? I mean, would you try to start a business? Would you maybe decide that you wanted to go back to school? Would you have a really difficult conversation? If you were just focusing on being faithful, what would you do differently in your life today? See, see, and this flows right into the second thing that Jesus says in verses 21 and 23. You can go back and look at it. He says, enter into the joy of your master. See, here's the picture that Jesus is painting. When we invest the deposit that God has made into our life, it's not drudgery. Um, it's not like, oh, this is like a band-aid. It's going to hurt, but just rip it off really quick and do it. It's, it's not this, this march of, of joyless duty. No, no. It's actually an invitation to immense joy. Investing God's deposit is not drudgery. It's delight. See, I'm convinced that the moments of most joy, the, the moments when we feel most alive, are moments where we are investing the deposit that God has put into us. They're moments where we are giving ourselves away. Did you know that the brain is actually physically wired for this? To, to find joy in generosity? Yet generosity has been linked to the activation of the ventral stratum, which has been shown to play a role in the brain's reward system. It gives us that feeling of, of satisfaction. Recent studies have even shown that generosity heightens a sense of happiness and well-being, and it helps us stave off emotions like anxiety and depression. Yes, enter into the joy of your master is wired into our physical bodies. And see, what Jesus is not saying in, in this section is, hey, when you get to heaven, it's going to be great. Although that's true, I think his focus is on the every day. Those moments where we enter into his joy as we give ourselves away, like today. As you're generous, you could experience this today. One of Jesus's sort of baked into this parable emphases is that you and I are designed for participation with God, not just observation of him. Like we have a part to play in his kingdom, and that's part of carrying the image 
of God. So what might that look like for you today to, to find joy in giving yourself away? Is it maybe generous, being generous with your finances to help the people around you? Uh, maybe it's an awareness of people's struggles to be generous with your time and your attentiveness. Um, maybe it's to make an investment in the people closest to us. Um, other dads and, and moms, man, what a beautiful opportunity we have to invest our lives into our kids. And it's this really short season in our life. Are we going to make the most of this? Are we going to invest in the deposit that God has made into us? Are we going to work with others for the, the common good and for the noticing of or the realization of shalom? See, here's what I want you to realize, that there's this, there's this progression, right? It's be faithful with the deposit God's put in front of you. Participate with God and what he's doing in the world. And then, and then experience his joy. I think, I think one of the things that God is doing during the COVID season in the church is flattening a hierarchy where oftentimes we, we view church work as for the professionals. But as we're away from the building more and as we're away from being able to gather even together, I think there's this release of the priesthood of the believers that God wants to do in the church, in the States at least, to say, no, 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 you have a part to play. There's something in you that this world needs in order to be the world that God designed it to be. And then finally, finally, Jesus frees us to invest by addressing a generally held assumption in his day. Why would somebody bury their money? Why would somebody bury a talent? Well, it's really interesting. According to rabbinic law, burying your money was the safest thing that you could do with it. It was one of the ways that people would keep their money from, from thieves and from bandits. But what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is saying is, I want to move you towards influence, not towards safety. And I'd invite you to write that down as the third thing that Jesus is teaching, towards influence, not towards safety. See, first he says, I, I want you to focus on being faithful, not being productive. I want you to focus on, on delight, not drudgery. And, and I want you to focus on influence, not necessarily on safety. See, the problem with burying your talents to keep them safe is that you also prevent them from making an impact in the world. According to Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, it's like hiding a light under a bushel so that no one can see it. But that's not the reason that you have light. That's not the reason that you have talents. You have talents to invest them and to utilize them for the furthering of God's kingdom. See, I would love to imagine that there will come a day when we stand before the throne of God and all of our lives are laid bare. But I mean, think about those moments where you've, where you've failed, right? Where you just sort of fell flat. And imagine Jesus saying something to you like, wow, that was, that was an immense failure. <laughs> like, 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 wow, you really fell on your face there. But I'm so proud of you because you were going for it. You wanted to make a difference in the world. You believed that I wanted to use your life for something great. And, and look at the way, look at the way that I used all the broken pieces of that quote-unquote failure and made something beautiful out of it. 
See, I think there's this temptation within all of us to want to pull back, to want to bury our talent, if you will, in the sand and just sort of keep it safe. I mean, we saw this in Jesus's day through the Qumran community. It was a community uh, of of, um, separatists that moved down right near the Dead Sea and built a whole community around being separate from the people that might taint them, being separate from, from sinners, right? It's a community that existed in Jesus's day, but he didn't go there. His mission was to seek and to save the lost. They were people that had it, quote unquote, all together. They'd sort of formed their religious bubble. And I think we're entering into a season, you guys, where there's going to be more and more temptation, more than maybe there ever has been to sequester ourselves as followers of Jesus, to be, to be separate so that we're not tainted, quote unquote, by the world. But that isn't why you have the gifts you have. You don't have them to protect them. You have them to invest them. And so Jesus looks at these people who've invested their talents and says, well done, good and faithful servant. You know what you're going to get because you utilize the stuff I gave you? More. (laughs) You're going to get more, more joy, more influence, more ability to influence the world because Jesus is looking for people who have open hands and who are willing to release the things he gives to make much of his name in the world. So Jesus wants to free us to use this deposit he's made into our life when it says that he wove us together in our mother's womb to use everything in us to make much of his name. And he's done that by saying, man, focus on faithfulness, not on productivity. Know that this is about delight, not about drudgery. And then, and then it's not about playing it safe. It's about having influence. And he drives all those points home even further by illustrating the opposite of doing all those things. And he does that in verse 24, beginning in verse 24. And listen to what he says. He says, he also had received, who had also received one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here's what... Here, have what is yours. It's really interesting because this man considers Jesus to be his master, and yet he didn't use the things Jesus entrusted to him to make much of his name. It's this really interesting phrase. I perceive you to be a a harsh man. Now, it could either be mean like a strong man or a, a cruel man. And in some ways, I think Jesus is suggesting It's both. I love the way that Dale Bruner put it when he said this. He said, This servant resents God inwardly and expresses it outwardly by calling God absolutely sovereign. You plant or you reap where you have not sown. Meaning absolutely indifferent to human feeling or action. See, on the surface, it's flattery. You're God. You're amazing. You're great. But inwardly, it's it's bitterness. It's, it doesn't matter what I do. You're going to do whatever you want. And see, bad theology always leads to bad practice. Our bad thoughts about God 
always influence the way that we walk with God. Or I'd encourage you to write it down like this. What you believe about God always shapes the way that you live with God. And let me add to that, that there are a lot of people who bury their talent based out of what this servant said, fear, fear. Am I going to be rejected? Am I, am I going to, am I going to fail? Am I going to be just like totally hung out to dry? Am I going to be wrung out and absolutely exhausted? There's a lot of fear that sometimes drives the way that we operate. And Jesus is rejecting that. And listen to the way he goes on. He says this in verse 26. But his master, and that's Jesus in this parable, the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. Jesus isn't mincing words. And he actually starts to call him out. You're you're wicked. It's evil to do nothing, to say nothing when maybe we should speak up to not invest our lives. Jesus isn't ambivalent about that. He says, no, no, it's, it's actually, it's, it's wicked. It's evil. It goes against the grain of the universe, the way that I've designed things to function. It's called oftentimes in the church is called a sin of omission. The things that we, that we don't do. And then he says, listen, um, it's not just that you're fearful. It's also that you're slothful or that you're, that you're lazy that you're lazy. I mean, we could go through a list of sports uh, people who had all the talent in the world, but just didn't invest it. Or people that had a lot of money, but didn't make much off of it because they weren't willing to let some of it go. And they didn't make much of the kingdom because they wanted to, to hoard. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. He says, fan into flame the gift that was given to you by the laying on of hands. See, it's God's gift, but it's Timothy's investment. It's him taking what God's deposited and refining it and making much of it so that it can make much of the name of God. So Jesus continued in verses 26 and 27. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I've scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own plus interest. See, Jesus is calling out this totally disingenuous statement that the man made. He's going, listen, if you really did believe that, that I reap where I haven't sown and harvest where I haven't planted, then why wouldn't you have taken some risks? Why wouldn't you have attempted something to do some things for my kingdom? If you knew that I could make much of a little investment, why not? Why not try something? See, false humility that causes us to sit on the sidelines and embrace passivity is not a godly trait. So I wonder if there's anything going on in our life right now where we would say we believe one thing about God, but then when we look at our lives, it actually says we believe something different. So the end of this parable, I'm just warning you, is designed to make us shudder a little bit. It's designed to make us really think about our lives. Because remember, parables are designed to create disorientation that leads to awakening. So take the talent from him, Jesus says, and give it to him who has 10 talents. For whoever has will be, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. 
and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. Yikes. Like I said, it's designed to make us go, and to think about it a little bit. After reading a number of commentaries, some commentaries will say that Jesus is, is speaking about hell here. That, that, so the, the point of the parable is you better use what God's placed inside of you so you don't go to hell. Right? The only problem with that, well, there's two problems with that, actually. Number one is that this passage never talks about hell. That, that's the first passage. That word isn't any way, any of the three ways that that, that word is translated. It's not there. Second, second, if we do make this about hell, then we have to rethink our whole, whole soteriology, our, our, our way that we envision what it means to be saved. So being saved is not just by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You also have to add to that, oh yeah, 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 and in order to really be saved, you've got to invest the deposit that God's made into you. See, I think it's far better to read uh, all the negative things that Jesus says in parallel to the positive things that he has already said. That faithful people get to experience God's joy at deeper levels and, and, and then they are entrusted with even more. It's this sort of self-perpetuating cycle. And certainly, certainly, for those who squander their life, for those who squander their gifts, there's immense sadness. You might even call it weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus is saying, catch this, he wants better for us. He wants us to experience his joy. He wants us to walk in our, the purpose, the reason that we were designed. That's the way that the world works. See, God's generous deposit demands my intentional and your intentional investment. So let me close by giving you just three things to write down really quick, really quick. Three invitations today. Number one, assess what you have. Don't lament what you don't. Assess what you have. What what do you have that God's maybe inviting you to invest? Are you doing well financially? I want to invite you to be a part of uh, the kingdom of God, investing in the work of the kingdom. That might be right here and investing in phase two of the Beyond campaign. It might mean blessing some of the people in your neighborhood. If you have time, I would encourage you, invest your time. Use it to make much of the kingdom. Uh, Listen to people. Serve people. Uh, If you have opportunities, God's brought opportunities into your life, don't neglect them. Utilize them. God wants you to walk into his joy. Second, reject a posture of fear or laziness. The, the, this, in the parable, the servant who does nothing does nothing because of fear and a wrong perspective of God. Reject that. And then third, here's what I want to invite you to do. Trust. Trust that God will use your faithfulness to make much of his goodness, to make much of his name and his kingdom. I'll be praying for you this week as you take God's deposit and invest it in God's world for the glory of his name and for your joy as you walk with him.